This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. This is episode number 10.2, Stone Mountain. I am Joe Darnell, and with me is my dear friend, Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing, man? Hey, man. I'm doing pretty good. A little bit tired. I, I spent all day preparing for this podcast. You're tired since you last week when you were tired. You haven't gotten any sleep since. You were worried sick about what we were going to name the next version, 10.2. You know, there was the wine, but we couldn't call it keep with the, the wine name. We had to change it to something else. It had to be a mountain, right? Right? Well, I was going to say I was preparing all day for the podcast or I was swimming all day with the kids. Ah, I'll let you pick which one I was doing. <laughs> where, where do you go swimming? A uh, family friend uh, has an open open swim on Friday. So uh, I was off work today. So it took the kids. Cool. It was a good time until uh, the baby ruined it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, you have six children. Which ones count as the baby or babies? The one that, that does that in a pool. Okay. <laughs> they are youngest. <laughs> so you're going to have fish. I'm so sorry. Speaking of children, I have two. And yeah, we thought we were going to camp today, the last day of camp. And uh, they didn't bother to tell us that yesterday was the last day of camp. So we got out <laughs> so there. So you just dropped them off and left and they're crying in the rear view mirror. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't do that because there were two cup cars in the parking lot. And I was like, okay, this looks a little suspicious. And then I was like, okay, well, I guess this is over then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with us tonight, our special guest is Heather Wild. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome to Tectonic. Thanks. I'm happy uh, to be here. Well, I, we're doing swell, as you can tell, a little hyped up on family affairs. Where is your voice coming from? I am in Las Vegas, Nevada. Is that your homestead? Is that where you share your geekery and you know your business coaching and Everything beyond that with Rocketeer and the like? Yes, that is where I am based right now. I'm All right, that's Rocketeer Central or the launch pad. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm proud to say that it is the uh, home base, actually the, the number one city in the United States for women-owned businesses right now, too. Huh. Yeah, my wife does a little bit of business out there every now and then, but not much of her own for the company she works for. She's the chief operating officer these days. Title might be updating here pretty soon, and there's not much more you can do if you're already the operating officer, but it's interesting developments. And now, Heather, you are the CTO at Rocketeer. Can you describe what Rocketeer does? So Rocketeer is a coaching, mentoring, and training company that works with entrepreneurial ecosystems, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, that that makes people spin their minds a little bit. Yes, it's one of the $10 words. I just see frogs when someone says ecosystem. I, I don't know why. I just prefer <laughs> some endangered species, but... Yeah, that's probably not that. You watched a lot of National Geographic growing up, didn't you, Joshua? <laughs> so in, in this case, an entrepreneurial ecosystem is either an investment portfolio, a government entity, or a large corporation. We deal with the groups that are inside of them to help them kind of on a holistic level to see the, the entire community to make sure that it is healthy. And as a part of the uh, the health of the business community, would you say that it has more to do with their customer relations or their relations internally, or it, does it go beyond communications and their relationships? Well, it's a multifaceted thing. So, okay. I mean, we like to hit people on the human level, mm -hmm. the team level, and their whole ecosystem level. So when I read your website, it's unclear to me exactly what the, the coaching might look like. 
Can you explain to me what the ecosystem is and how do you address it? Can you clarify it in layman's terms for me? Sure. So ecosystem is definitely a buzzword right now. For for Rocketeer, an ecosystem is either an investment portfolio. So like the companies that have been invested in by some group or a billionaire. There's also like a city's ecosystem. So hmm. like downtown Las Vegas, for example, or the Vegas Valley, or even the tech hub in Atlanta, that would be an ecosystem. And usually those are governed by the economic development board of your city, like whatever they're focusing on currently, that would be an ecosystem. And then there's also like corporations themselves are ecosystems. In, in your area, that would be Coke, Coca-Cola, yes. because they are around the world and not just in one location. So the entire corporation worldwide is an ecosystem and all of the employees transferring back and forth, doing all the things and the, the delivery drivers and all of that are all big spokes on a wheel to support the ecosystem of Coca-Cola. I spoke to someone today about if on a government basis, for example, if, mm. if a government sees that there are eight taco shops applying for business licenses on one street well, maybe they should reject the ninth one and instead talk that person into becoming a carniceria to sell meat <laughs> to the other taco shops. <laughs> and that's, that's the kind of thing that we do. And maybe y'all need to give some special advice to Joshua where he, his workplace is. Speaking of government organizations, <laughs> you care to comment, Joshua? I do not. I'd have okay. to kill you. Okay. <laughs> well, moving on then. You formerly worked at Evernote, one of my other favorite companies in this world. Oh, I love Evernote. It is uh, one of the tools that I use every single day. Were you there at the beginning? I was there at Evernote 2.0's beginning. Prior to uh, Phil Libin and team, me being part of that team coming on, it was actually just Windows standalone software with only about 5,000 users. And they were all very very devoted researchers who <laughs> used Interesting. it. Interesting. Huh. And then we came on and made it a SaaS product. When I came to Evernote, I think it was around version two, but I'm not sure. And then it was a, there was an iPad app called SA4 iPad. And y'all snatched up the developer that created that app. I think it was doing fairly well in the app store. And it was the sort of note-taking app that was great for exports, for PDF, great with markdown and rich text. And when y'all snatched him up, I was like, oh man, darn it. Because he, he stopped working on essay. And uh, for, for a few months, I was, I had a cold shoulder to Evernote. <laughs> but, yeah. But then when he got on your team, I, I saw a, a version update not long after. And I was like, oh yeah, he did his work. This is nice. I can handle Evernote now. Aww. Yes. So during your time at Evernote, you were not in the technology department per se. What exactly were your responsibilities? So my responsibility was actually, I was the director of technical support, where hmm. I actually was in charge of making sure that the support department was built from the ground up worldwide and integrated with everyone, engineering, QA, ops, marketing, even human resources and finance and security worldwide. So every language, every new build, everything, uh, the voice of the customer coming in and the voice of the company going out to the customer, mm. all of those products had to be integrated. There wasn't a thing in six years that I, that I didn't have my hand in. Hmm. 
I was going to ask you about language support during your time there. Was that one of the larger challenges? I'm just curious. It was something that was difficult, but surprisingly, it was our team in Russia that was in charge of the language support. Hmm. The team there was so amazing at making sure that they always had the languages. I mean, Evernote even has a Klingon version. <laughs> is, there, is there a secret code that you type in when it's lo- loading up that will unlock that feature? Or well, how, do you get, how do you get to that? Well, it's, there's not many words translated into Klingon. And so oh, it's, snap. yeah. So in, in order for the language pack to be released, the full version needs to be translated. So what the whole system is, and it's, it's amazing, is the users <laughs> have to go and open source the translation. So, <laughs> so one year we went to Comic-Con as Evernote. And in two, before we did that, we're like, okay, well, what can we do for Comic-Con as Evernote? Let's, let's offer Klingon as a language. So we put, <laughs> we put that up there and people were really excited. So they started, but I mean, how many times can you translate Kapla, you know? <laughs> so. oh. Yeah. Well, I want to get an, into uh, Rocketeer and Evernote further, but we do have more to talk about on your resume. You've had some things to do with girls in tech, never give up foundation and also STEM. Where do you want to jump in here? Uh, start with girls in tech? Okay. Because this this is interesting stuff to me. My daughter is six years old now, and I'm just waiting for the day that I can say, here you go, child. Here's your 13-inch MacBook. Now make something for me. <laughs> well, six years old, she's old enough to go to uh, Girl Scouts and That's something that we do at Girls in Tech. In fact, next week, we have a Girl Scout badge that we offer through Girls in Tech here in Las Vegas. You get a little light bulb Girl Scout badge for my ideation class. Uh, Awesome. We have a 3D printed badge. It's the only one offered in the United States through our class. No way. What do you mean by 3D printed? You mean like, what is the materials? Well, it's 3D printer. It's a resin that you, through the 3D printer, I mean, I think we're using ABS in this class. We do this as part of the the She's Geeky Week, like four times a year. And in the summer, it's part of the Geek Girl Camp. <laughs> that And that starts from the brownies all the way up. So you're, you're, you're lagging behind. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit. Well, she's too preoccupied with My Little Pony right now. I'm trying to wean her of that, but she keeps on, you know, telling me the stories and she wants me to watch My Little Pony. And then what do I find myself doing? <laughs> it's it's a different kind of life here. Uh, have but, you have you uh, turned them on to Minecraft yet? Oh, no. Don't get me started on Minecraft. No, you have to. That I've got my two oldest ones. Uh, they're eight and nine. They love it. And it was actually to help them, you know, with their own, with their schoolwork and to Know, have more of an interest in reading you know they'd want to figure, figure out how to do something and i would say get on the wiki right so that was like a an ongoing thing for a while and and sure enough they've just they've, they've improved in their you know overall schoolwork with reading and different things like that i just signed a contract with them they've got a project to do they've got to create their own youtube channel they've got to upload all these videos they've got to put it on uh wordpress and all these and and they've got two months to do it and I'll give them a thousand bucks. Excellent. Wow. We'll, we'll promote their venture here on the show <laughs> when that happens. So, yes. We'll give them some free ads placement. Yeah. So, I mean, I figured, uh, you know, that's some, some good incentive and, you know, real world entrepreneurism. So see back in my day, the thing was age of empires and that's what I want to introduce my children to. I want to get them hooked on age of empires too. And if I could, I would work backwards to, I don't know if y'all would remember this one, a dinosaur park tycoon. Yes. And that was, yes, I loved that game. 
that's why I learned anything about economics in the <laughs> sixth grade. So I hear um, that people are now playing, or that kids are now playing some game like Air- Airport Tycoon on the iPhone, and they're just getting like billions of dollars to try and track whether <laughs> the Airbus or the Dreamliner are is the the plane to beat on like the long range. I mean, it's it's teaching them economics, and I mean, games like that are wonderful. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, but at six, I would actually be starting with Legos. Legos yeah, are amazing. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. Did a lot of Legos until you you step on them for so many so many times, and then I decided to go with Minecraft because you know I can't step on Minecraft. <laughs> so, and, and it's you know similar concept as you know sort of spatial orientation and mm. and, and what I, another thing I like about it is that it just has that old school computer game feel. It you does know, the kind of stuff that I grew up on. You know, it's not working. You, know, you need to figure out why. You know, not just sit right. down and o- open an app. So I kind of like that. I almost like the uh, retro feel of it. And speaking of Legos, my wife actually grew up with a heck of a lot more Lego sets than I ever had, and I, I remember every Lego set. And I could count them on my hands, which ones I had. But my wife, she had like basically everything. Yes, and we have those in tubs. The kids are not allowed to touch them until they learn to appreciate them. But I, I feel like I need to change that rule this year. I need <laughs> yeah. to change that rule. <laughs> appreciate I, them. What are they going to do? Had, write, a, write an essay and of how they love? At least before they ever play with them. Don't turn yeah. into the guy in the Lego movie. That's that's <laughs> the wrong way. I related to him so much. Oh. My eyes were moist at the end of the movie. I felt for the man upstairs. No, I'm kidding. Actually, uh, I wouldn't take it to that extreme. Though I was one that was more interested in the instructions oh. than just making something by you know scratch. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I actually had the entire Lego castle system, and I followed the instructions, and I looked at my friends that didn't and i was like why would you buy the expensive set and not follow the instructions like you could just buy the general legos <laughs> that are a lot cheaper that's right and well that, that's actually surprises me joe to hear that you know that you wouldn't want to just kind of go and do your creative thing and I, it, it makes sense for heather as a as an engineering kind of mind yeah thank you for raising this it actually came up on another podcast i would not call myself necessarily an artist i am the creative type but my thing is primarily design and we love organizations structures uh, systems applied reasoning uh, user experience and so when i was using lego sets it was one of the first times i encountered a well-crafted user experience because (laughs) the 3d illustrations on the pages typically worked in an incredible fashion and when they didn't work and you'd get to that point that you had about 300 pieces put together but you missed one about a hundred pieces ago and now the giant robot's head is not going to connect to his neck because you didn't put it in you put it on upside down you know and that happened to me actually happened to me twice it boiled down to well all these black pieces connected to the dark gray pieces don't allow for the illustration to, you know, exactly give me what I need to see. Yeah. So the designer in me was coming alive even then. And I was, I was <laughs> concerned about the future of Lego and whether or not they would be able to sort these problems out. Anyway, <laughs> back on topic. Yeah, so there is girls in tech. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow we started with girls in tech and then got to Joe playing Legos. I'm not sure how that happened. I was going to mention that um, there is Gene McDonald who has organized the App Camp for Girls that has been taken off. Really excited to see about the programming that the children are learning for that particular effort. And uh, I, I do think that if you haven't heard of them, you, you'd be interested in them. We'll have a link to them as well in the show notes. Great. 
Cool. So the Never Give Up Foundation is something that's near and dear to my heart because it's uh, this foundation in, in town that is is basically about people who just have, for one reason or other, have gotten to a point in their life where they've found that they have a learning disability that's like an invisible illness or something. And rather than like saying the world is against them, they just went forward. They just kept going. They found that they could just keep going on and then they want to help others with that. It's, it's a charity that gives back to families that may be poor, that don't have the money to pay for psychological help if they have an invisible illness like autism or Asperger's or something. I mean, because these are these are kids that, I mean, we all know them, but they're, they may be acting out in school and they don't know why. They may, not, they may be dyslexic and, and nobody's caught it and they don't know why they're having trouble in school. And they may be from a poorer family and not be able to afford the help, the, the, the learning coach, the, mm. the psychiatrist, yeah. the medicine, whatever. We were a group of people that go out and speak about our lives to raise money for these people. Is this set in uh, Las Vegas primarily, or is this nationwide? It's based in Las Vegas, but the members of Team Never Give Up are nationwide. And anyone that this resonates with, they're welcome to contact us. Good. We'll have links to the, the organization in the show notes. And then there's also your other volunteer work with STEM. So STEM is just the general term for science, technology, engineering, mm -hmm. and math. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just go anytime that something that somebody needs help, like they need more diversity <laughs> somewhere. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like the bat signal for me. Um, ah. so I come out, I help the school districts around here with the, uh, student of 2035 projects, like things like helping your, your daughter to, mm -hmm. to find her way into STEM because it's not just it's not just girls that have trouble finding science or their way into maths or, or engineering, any of that. It, there's actually a major drop-off of interest at eighth grade mm. for both men and women. I work with a lot of people in, in many different efforts to try and shore that up so that we can have our future leaders it's very difficult for me to uh, understand on a ground level what this would look like because for a short while, I was involved in a variety of uh, educational programs, a few with public schools and with uh, private schools, but actually seeing like uh, what this would look like on the West Coast or in the larger cities, I have no idea. I, I've never worked with any sort of volunteer work akin to this in Atlanta. I live about 50 minutes north west of Atlanta. And I can't imagine the extra complexities, the difficulties that may arise. So one thing that I do is like, I may go into a high school and give a speech for a day. I may be a judge for, I was recently a judge at a solar cell car competition mm. for, for a lower income area school. And unfortunately, uh, one of the the groups that I had to judge, all of their cars had been destroyed the night before. Oh, wow. Um, like, because the school was in such a poor area that like people just came in and, and like ripped everything apart and there was graffiti all over it. So mm. like all I could judge was their description of what the car had been. And it was so heartbreaking, but these are people that they're trying, they're giving up their, their lives to this that they care about. I also am a board member at, at UNLV here, which is the university. Um, I'm on the 
uh, engineering school's advisory board to help with the college as well. So there's a lot of different efforts Mm. that I'm working on. All right. So something else that piqued my interest is that you mentioned that you have been using a wide array of devices. And this has kind of blown my mind because I've been an Apple guy since 1993. For a short spell, I had a PC Windows computer in the late 90s. And most of my friends may have, out of the accumulation of all their years, maybe 70% of it was experienced with Windows computers and you know uh, Android phones, and then maybe 30% with Apple products, or vice versa. You, know, you, you, you got onto the Mac bandwagon late after the, uh, the iPod generation. How did you go from PCs to Apple products to Blackberries to Androids? Like, th- that's amazing. <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> okay. So I am a CTO. And before that, I was the head of worldwide support for a major company. Was, was Evernote on BlackBerry? Evernote is on BlackBerry. Oh, so you didn't know that. Wow. Before wait, wait, that. Wait, wait, BlackBerry is... <laughs> Is BlackBerry still a thing? BlackBerry yes, is, is still a thing. Oh, yes. Okay. They only <laughs> what they just stopped supporting BlackBerry just recently. But before that, I was like head of support for another major company. The thing is, I find it extremely irresponsible to trust that your users' experience is going to be good if you're testing through VMware. I mean, if you're designing for Windows on a Mac, then I, I don't want to use a bad word, but imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I get you. Yeah, the, it's, it's unacceptable to me. I mean, I understand that you cannot design for Android on an Android, but you should at least be testing your right, Android right. product on the Android. Yeah, this is a big problem just for this latest generation of Apple devices because the first wave of all the Apple Watch uh, software by third-party developers was made in the you know the virtual you know place where they do all the coding on their Macs, and most all the developers were saying to themselves, shaking their heads, saying, "Yeah, um, we didn't really know what it would be like until it launched," and so okay, now back to the drawing board. Right. And if it's that bad just with a different device, I can't imagine, you know, producing software for one platform on another platform's device. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I've seen so many arrogant developers, forgive me, but very arrogant developers come in and ask me for a job uh, that have never touched a Windows machine um, and say, oh, I can do this in boot camp on my Mac. Or vice versa. Oh wow! Saying yeah. no. that, like, I want to develop for Mac, and they're just, and they only ever use VMware with like a Mac spin up in their VMware on their Windows machine. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So I, it's I think just we hit, not. I think we hit on a passionate subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you. I mean, so if if you're going to develop something, not just develop natively, but test it natively. There's, especially for a mobile device, if I actually got into an argument with my own development team recently, and I was like sending them screenshots and they're like, oh, we don't see that. And I'm like, uh, here's a screenshot. Oh dear. Yeah. I see what you mean. I'm on iOS and they're like, oh, well, I don't see that on my Android. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yes. Huh. So that means you should ask somebody to load it up on your iOS machine. On a daily basis, how many phones are you carrying around? Well, right now I've got Android and my iOS in my bag. 
because I'm carrying around my my neat Evernote triangle bag, uh, which is very small and doesn't have room for everything. But if I've got my backpack, then I've got my Windows and my Mac and four mm. phones, BlackBerry, <laughs> iPhone, a Windows phone, and an Android. Which device is your preference? I go back and forth. I try to, to be Android one week, iPhone another week. Play in the, this is play in the field, you know. Don't want to commit, I understand. <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. I know a few other people who have tried both the Android phones and the the Apple phones, and also the, a variety of different tablets. But I can't say that I can think of anyone off the top of my head who's gone from a Mac to a PC and back again in recent year. There's just it, it, there isn't much of an interest now. It seems like the the systems in place are things where people just kind of get stuck in a rut because they created all of their accounts, which are strongly tethered to Google. And so they'll just, they prefer the integrations with Android and they'll stay there and they'll be very happy campers to preside in that ecosystem. And then over here, you got the Mac camp, which is basically the reason why I am a, uh, an Apple user as avidly as I am is because I realized this a few years ago that if I was going to uh, buy an iPad, it, it was going to be an investment in iOS. If I wanted apps, I was going to give my my hard-earned money to the developers that were making things for the iPhone and for the iPad. So very quickly, I, that kind of, I just resigned to the fact that I, I wasn't going to be switching platforms anytime soon. But I was thinking about it as just a consumer, a customer. Well, the thing is, like, I never shut my brain off. I'm always thinking about work. Yes, my wife has the same condition. The idea is if if I'm always trying to be my best and be the best advisor that I can, I never like I always have to keep my mind open to the possibilities of 85% of the world uses Windows. Right, right. There may be a platform in one country that is way more suitable for Firefox OS or these guys may mo- may need actually to use Linux. There actually may be a reason for this company to <laughs> develop <happen>. on Linux. <laughs> um, so there's so I need to know just off the top of my head when I'm advising someone, okay, you're launching in Africa in a month. This is the way to go. And if I don't know that, if I can't recall it, it's then I've lost in that process, then, have you made connections on all the various continents to try and keep tabs on the moving trends for technology and what people on the street are using and what companies are prefer- preferring? Absolutely. Interesting. What What does that look like then? Do you know multiple languages or do you do you just keep up with uh, English uh, speaking folks all, all around the world? Uh, how, what do your notes look like in Evernote <laughs> is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can read multiple languages. My speaking's not that great, but I also have a lot of friends around the world that can help me with that. And what's interesting is if you're a futurist and you're a trend spotter, then that's different than trying to figure out where the money is going to come from. So like, there's some people like, like I said, like Linux may actually be a useful thing for, for some people developing in Africa, because it's open sourced, you can do things really cheap with with Arduinos that won't even need you to connect to the internet. And you can make like a whole self sustaining city out there that it's there's so many amazing things in developing countries that people over here wouldn't even pay attention to because they're looking for investment. There's so many projects that come across across my desk 
that, that are just so not Silicon Valley type things. Right. They're in the trenches. They're actually, they're just looking for the practical exercise of all the technology. Yeah. How, what is a team, how do you, how do y'all get a hold of the big picture and also advise people all over the world? What does coaching look like? Do you prefer the phone? Do you prefer email? How do you communicate and how, how do you do the coaching process? Do you, do you spend a lot of time traveling and, and meeting in person? You know, because I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that video conference calls is not going to cut it all the time. Actually, uh, coaching works better, I think. Um, and I'm not alone in this, actually. There's, there's proven things about this. But coaching, I think, works better if you are over the phone or uh, remote from the person. Because you, like, if you're in person with someone, you have the possibility that you could, they could enter into a kind of savior relationship with you. And like, they, they might feel, uh, coaching is a very emotional process. So, and, and when you're, when you are in person with someone that they're feeling an emotional connection with you and that builds up over time. Okay. I think I know what you mean. I've had this experience with a few. I had interns back in the day and also apprentices that I would train in video and graphic design. And I I think I know what you're talking about. This happened to me a few times. So generally it's recommended that coaches don't meet in person with the people they're coaching because while that connection helpful over time, it can be harmful because a person can be can, can read something into a relationship that isn't there. So, so then the preferable way to coach is using, um, using phone calls or do you, do you also use things like messaging and email and the like, how does that go? It seems like every four or five months, there's a new thing that's trying to extol uh, voice calls or texting or, you know, video chats. And it, and then it seems like we're supposed to believe the new thing is the way to go for all communications online. It would just be the most effective. We can just forget about our phone numbers. We should all just be on Google video chat. You know, why not? But then after time goes by, I'm realizing the latest craze is streaming, just streaming everything, live streaming. People want the live stream, Heather, for the webinars. Then the webinar is over. You can't get the video anymore because they didn't put it up in perpetuity. It was only available, you know, (laughs) the live stream. Right. I can't wait until this periscope phase is over or morphs into the next thing because my arm is getting tired from holding my phone up. <laughs> yeah, hearting all the things. Yes. Yes. But no, we uh, like for for our coaching sessions, we do it over the phone or via Skype or Google Hangout. It'll usually be a scheduled like weekly or biweekly or monthly. Each relationship is different. Then they can check in via email or some people do use instant messaging. But so, I know one coach that uses WhatsApp for every single one of his coaching calls because that's just what all of his clients seem to like. You just work it out with your particular client. Do, do you think, and I'll take your word for it, that you know audio and video is the best method, but I mean, do you ever fear that you're missing something by not actually being at the company and, and to be able to maybe see maybe like a giant pile of unorganized crap that you could see with your eyes, but they're not going to say, Oh, and by the way, my desk is full of a bunch of crap. That's why I can't get anything done. Mm-hmm. Is there, does anything slip through the cracks? I guess. No, because, no? well, first of all, if you're a trained coach, like I am, then 
you're going to hear things in what a person's saying. Your line of inquiry will get down to the, not the, there's a pile of stuff on my desk, but the root cause of why there's the pile and why it won't go away. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, I see what you're saying. So someone who has a well-organized life tends to have a clearer focus. They, they seem to have all their ducks in a row. They, they, they know where the conversation is headed. But if someone seems scatterbrained, then perhaps that is a sign of like what you need to work on. And then from there, you know what tools they need to start making use of, et cetera. Sort of. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. it's just kind of an intuition thing. Sometimes mm. it may be that they just sigh in a way that they don't normally sigh. Like, how do you know when your children are lying to you? Do you know? When, when their yeah. mouths are open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you'd have more experience than me. <laughs> so. I didn't steal any peanut butter. Let me smell your breath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or how do you know if your best friend is hiding something from you? If you close your right. eyes, right. you can tell in their voice that something's wrong. Interesting. All right. Well, back to Evernote and note-taking. I've been using a variety of different note-taking apps now for, but I'd say as long as I've had an iPod, I think it was around that time that I started thinking to myself, you know, this is occupying some space in my pants and where I would usually hold my, you know, my notes book. Now I got this. So where's my wallet going to go? Where are my keys <laughs> going to go? And what do I do with these, you know, three by five cards? Then, it, you know, you get the iPod touch and it's like, Hey, look at there. It's got a notes app. You try that out and it's like, oh, well, that sucks. It's <laughs> no good. <laughs> and then one thing leads to another. You have Evernote and then you have someone on your podcast one day that worked for Evernote <laughs> and you have so many questions for them. What do you think of note-taking apps today? Do you prefer to do anything analog? First of all, do you do anything on paper anymore? You know, I do as little on paper as possible. Uh, I do have a big stack of post-it notes on my desk. Um, it's a big old stack and uh, they're very rarely used. So uh, I do get a lot of handouts from people that immediately I use uh, Scannable, which is amazing if you haven't downloaded it. Uh, Scannable mm. by Evernote. Um, and even like when people hand me business I'm cards. I'm Googling it right now. Just <laughs> I already have it on my phone. Uh, and, and, <laughs> business cards immediately go right into Evernote. So I try to, to have as little paper, paper as possible. So at what point did you realize you were ready to move your system away from the pen and paper? Probably when I moved on to my boat. <laughs> <laughs> you have a boat in Las Vegas? Uh, yes, I actually do have a boat in Las Vegas, but that was not the boat to which I was referring. Okay. <laughs> so in your in your case, you actually were trying to go paperless a little bit. There are some papers that you have to have for the Coast Guard so that when they come, they, they see it and they can check off. But um, the rest of it, it's just not practical to have stacks right. and stacks of paper right. around. Okay, well then with note-taking apps, you're trying to collect not just random thoughts throughout the day, but you're also trying to uh, like archive the paperwork and then some. So what does that look like for you? Do you still prefer Evernote at this date? Or I imagine you don't have to ever prefer Evernote if you worked there. <laughs> Secretly, what do you use? <laughs> I do use Evernote. I'm always converting people to Evernote. My team uses Evernote here. There's actually a, a bigger advocate of Evernote in town than me. Um, his name is Tony Shea. He's the CEO of Zappos. He tells everyone far and wide to use Evernote. I have Evernote on my home screen these days, and I have it on the Apple Watch as well, though I haven't used it too much. I actually intend to use it for some work I'm doing out of my house this weekend. 
I'm doing a, a, some project work for my father and he need, he needed me to know like uh, passcodes and, you know, do these things in these in this order and uh, stuff like that. Oh, make sure they're projects. encrypted if he's sending you passcodes. Yeah, actually, well, actually, thank you for reminding me. I need to turn that on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in this case, how do you feel Evernote is holding up under the changes with like uh, mobile devices being primarily where most people do their computing these days? Do you think that people are going to become more and more interested in using photos and audio within their notes? Like th those are really clever features of Evernote, and I've taken advantage of them myself a few times. Oh, I think they're keeping up. Brilliantly. I mean, the recent change to have the Evernote Plus plan and the changes to premium so that it's unlimited storage. I think note size is now 200 megs for a premium user. That allows, I mean, you can basically store a movie in, in a note if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely keeping up with the times. Do you think that Evernote, because they have several other apps, uh, I mean, I even have, what is it called, Clearly on my, mm -hmm. yes, Google Chrome browser on my Mac. I use for great reorganization of a web page for a simple, you know, readable format. I, I just like, I just like what they make. I don't think that every product they've made was, you know, a quick seller, but I feel like Evernote's, I read some articles once where they were pointing out a lot of people may try Evernote, not really get what it's all about, move on, try some other note-taking apps, but there's a long tail where more people come back to Evernote over time once uh, they're exposed to other things and they realize, I kind of do need this. Well, I always liked to use Clearly as an example as the three-month challenge with Evernote. I would have people use Clearly to read a web page and then clip it into Evernote after creating an account. And then after doing this for three months, you then had content in your Evernote account and then you would see the use of it. Because when you get an Evernote account, there's nothing in it. And that's why people don't see the use. But people that have been using it for a while, they're like, why could you not use this? Why don't you see it? It's amazing. And then they, you get barreled over the head with like, you should be using Evernote. <laughs> but people don't know why. So, so I actually, um, I put a book on uh, the App Store. It's, it's not designed very well. Maybe I should get your help in redesigning it. But it's just a simple walkthrough of what I did for the new employees at Evernote to teach them how to use it really quickly. It was like my one hour walkthrough of here's how to use Evernote. You're, if you don't understand it at the end of this, then... You don't know how to help them. Yeah, but every person that I've taken through this has been like, has had that aha moment. Is this in the iBook store or in the App Store? The iBook store and it's in the Amazon. It's a Kindle download as well. Fundamentals of Evernote. Fundamentals. Sounds tantalizing. Yes. Yeah, that sounds way too nerdy. <laughs> yeah, right. Mr. I have all my grocery list in paprika and I can knock it out in 30 hey, seconds. That's a whole other episode, man. Th this is the, I mean, this is absolute beginner. I've never used Evernote before stuff. My notes are getting lengthy here. Okay. Uh, so any kind of workflow recommendations, Heather, that you would have for people who basically use Evernote or whatever their note-taking system, like a power user? This is really important to me because like, I'm not sure how many folders to set up. I mean, I use it, but it's like, I don't know if I'm using it right. I'm very comfortable with my system, but I would love to hear Heather's opinion. Okay, I'm going to blow your mind here. Okay. Evernote was designed for you. The way that your brain works, Evernote works that way too. So if your brain thinks in folders and cabinets and stuff like that, then set it up that way. If your hmm. brain is like a big old Hadoop cloud like mine is, then set it up that way. I have like three notebooks and 
the only reason for that is because two of them are for sharing out with people. And those are because they're legacy notebooks that I had to create to share with people because you don't even need to do that anymore because you can now do single note sharing and have people edit. So you can just clip everything into the same place and trust that the search is going to find it. And if Mm. you're, if you're a tagger tag like crazy, if you're not, don't bother. So it does have the tag feature. I actually, I don't know if I've actually used that, but I, I like the fact that it's there. I actually prefer tags over folders. Things can go in multiple places at once. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll have to look into the into the tags. Maybe that'll help me out. Yeah. Cool. It's designed for how my brain works, but if my brain doesn't work very well, will ever don't work for me? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It remembers things for you. <laughs> well, that is the idea behind the elephant. Yes. There is a, a few people I know who like to take their notes in the shower, and I, I, I'm not going there. That's not that's not my style. Oh, uh, but you could. <laughs> wow. I know that they could. But see, again, Heather, the problem with that is it's analog again. The, the pen that collects the what you're writing down, you're jotting down in the notebook, the, it doesn't work in the shower. Voice notes. Hey, you just hacked it for me. I can totally do that on my watch. There you go. Wow. This opens up all kinds of new possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> this is killing me. <laughs> so, so you, are, you, are you showering with your watch then? Well, why not? It is the the most intimate device Apple's ever made. (gasps) Here we go again. (laughs) Just ask yourself, you know, clear your mind of everything you know about technology. If I took the towel into the shower, would the towel stop working? No. Well, you know, will my bottle of shampoo stop working? No. The towel would stop working because the purpose of it is to dry you and it would be wet. (sighs) Actually, no, the towel would not stop working. Because the purpose of the towel is to absorb water. Well, then it would absorb it, then it wouldn't be able to do it anymore. This sounds like a good discussion for another episode. Engineers, <laughs> we're butting heads, engineers are butting heads at the end, the last minute. So, that, so then you just have to make it so that it absorbs an infinite amount of water. Okay, now you're just messing with physics. Come on. <laughs> I like thinking outside the box, but you know. Well, Heather, we'll have to have you back on the show because we've only touched the uh, tip of the iceberg when it comes to note taking. This is seriously something that I wanted to discuss more. I feel like we just got our feet wet. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm trying not to go back to the shower puns. Where All right. People- I'm throwing in the towel. I'm tired. <laughs> is this a show now? <laughs> Heather, where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Heatheriel. Is that a play on like Mithriel? No, it's actually a play. It's Heather plus Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Oh, well, I was totally wrong. Yeah, well, I was given that nickname from when I used to audition for things when I was younger. It stuck. So I own it, Heatheriel uh, on Twitter and also Heatheriel.com. You can also find me at Rocketeer.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a blast. Seriously, we'll have you back. Glad to come anytime. This completes episode 10.2 of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash 10-2 for the show notes and links. If you want to connect with us, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter. And send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I am underscore Joe Darnell. And my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. If you want to help us out, give us your star rating and leave a review on iTunes because that helps the show get a bit more exposure and more people will discover it and enjoy it as well as you do. I'm Joe Darnell. Thank you so much for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Podcast.